0: Welcome to the She Yearns podcast. I am Terry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking about leaving a legacy. We're going to do this in two parts. Today is part one and we'll finish up next week because it's a big deal. We have this yearning in our heart to leave a legacy. Most of us want a life that outlasts the days that we're here on this planet. We want a life that we live today to positively impact. At least at a minimum, those within our sphere of influence, and better yet, to extend beyond it. There is this yearning that's really undeniable for our short time on this planet not to be wasted. If you only look through the lens of the general population, you will find this desire common. Article upon article surfaces about legacy leaving. The focus includes things like financial portfolio. Uh, Maybe a written family historical account, estate planning, things of that nature. My husband has been on this craze for months and months to read a biography on every American president. Legacy is at the heart of each president's sense of fulfillment in their presidency they seem to worry what if it's undone by the next president what if it doesn't stand the test of time he tells me that this seems to be at the heart of each one's sense of worth and fulfillment if they've done a good job or not there's also a famous quote by benjamin franklin who was not a believer that reads if you would not be forgotten as soon as you were dead either write something worth reading or do things worth writing. Although, this is exactly how we should define the legacy of the Apostle Paul, who wrote something worth reading, most definitely, and did things worth writing, I don't think Paul spent time thinking about the legacy he was or was not going to leave. We hear something very different in his language to the churches about his take on his life experiences. For instance, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes Less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And that's 2 Corinthians 11, 24-30. Is it possible for people who are clearly not Paul and not presidents of the United States to live legacy leaving lives? And if so, what kind of legacy should we leave? I want you to picture an arrow. Picture that there's only one arrow and our lives are represented by this one arrow. If your life is an arrow, what should we aim towards with this arrow? If we're gonna think about leaving a legacy, what characterizes a truly impactful life? Is it dollars and cents? Is it heirloom furniture, collected over the years? Is it a quilt from grandma's hand? Family land, your great-great-great-great-grandma's wedding band. What exactly is it? Although all of these are important elements to heritage, and the passing down of family traditions, these are not the target. It's more than these. But you and I will not see the target until we tweak our language and alter our thinking from what we will someday aim to leave to how we will today aim to live. You and I have one arrow, we can't afford to waste it. So today I wanna answer the question, how should we aim to live our legacy? First of all, you and I must be clued into the task at hand. If we had just been handed a physical arrow for the first time, we would head over to academy or to some farm and ranch store, find a worker and say to them, I want to learn how to shoot a bow and arrow. What equipment do I need? What are the instructions? What is your advice? For instance, we would need to know things like the stance that you take as you take a bow and arrow and you're aiming at the target. There are certain places your feet have to go and a certain angle you've got to have your bow and the arrow towards the target. There's a way that you grip the bow. There is a place that you put your arrow on the bow. There's a where you put your fingers. There's positions for that. There's a correct place and an incorrect place. There is a way that you draw back your muscles as you pull the the bow back as you place the arrow there is a way that you aim you've got to use your dominant eye not everybody has the same dominance Um, my side's not the same side yours is going to be and then there's the release it's important to maintain your body position your stance and you've got to stay unmoved these are things we would need to know just the basics if you're going to go out and shoot an arrow especially if you only have one You'd better take the time to understand the task, get your bearings, and do your homework. We need the same instruction about aiming and shooting our arrow toward legacy living. What kind of life are we shooting towards? What is the target if it's more than an heirloom quilt and an old wedding band? What character does it require? And how do we shoot? Paul would sum it up like this in Colossians 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Yes, that, Colossians 3, 3, and 4, that is the target. Your life hidden in Christ. I want to tell you a story from history to illustrate what this might look like in flesh and blood, and then offer some biblical anchoring and practical suggestions for how you and I can take this into our walks right out the door and begin to apply them at whatever stage of life we find ourselves in this particular season. There was a man named R.A. Dugdale who worked with the New York Prison Commission. On a particular visit, he discovered six criminals in six different prisons whose relatives were mostly criminals or paupers and these six criminals who had four different names were all descended from the same family now that was just too intriguing for this Mr. Dugdale and he began to study the relatives and he gave them a pseudonym called Juke and he gave the patriarch the name Max and he looked into the living and the dead records of the prison records and the town records and the testimony of neighbors and employees and this patriarch Max was known to instead of staying home he had brothers and sisters who became productive citizens but he did not want to do that he preferred to go out into the woods and live his own life and leave school family and the productive life of a citizen behind and do whatever he wanted he was not a bad person he just wanted to do whatever he wanted Now, if you've heard about Max Duke, there's controversy in whether this study is legitimate or not. The mainstream media would like to say that it is entirely unfounded and untrue. But I I really can't find, and I dug a lot, I can't find enough to discount it altogether. The critics admit that this is a real family line with lots of scoundrels and scandals and unproductive citizens. They cannot dismiss it. They can split hairs about the numbers and discount Dugdale's findings, such as the number of women who actually got paid for their questionable behavior, but they, they can't discount the the magnitude of the impact of it. At the end of the day, the Jukes family, which is not the real name, represents a tale of a man who left a legacy of a bunch of criminals. I'm going to say 130. About the same number of paupers. Families subjected to poor health conditions, which is terribly sad because it impacted their mortality rates. These children did not live into adulthood. Debauchery in large numbers resulting in diseases. Sixty cases of syphilis is noted. There were seven murderers, which is absolutely founded. Sixty habitual thieves, and that number has been also checked. And few productive citizens. And part of those were trained while they were incarcerated. And this is in five generations. However trustworthy and true the numbers, the example was used to illustrate the negative impact our choices and life paths can have on those within our spheres of influence in terms of legacy for even five generations. That's amazing and scary. There was a cry for a positive counterpart. How can we know that this is a real phenomenon and not a fluke of human behavior? In 1900, someone did just that. A man named A.E. Winship answered this cry and recorded the findings of 1,400 descendants of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. And these these findings cannot be disputed. They are absolutely true and founded. At the same time, this man that we call Max Juke was leaving his rural home for freedom in the woods. In a similar rural community, another young man grew up in a Christian home. He attended Yale University at 12 years old, then later married Sarah when she was 17. And feeling God's call to become a minister, they began a pastorate in a small congregation. Or During the years that followed, he wrote sermons, he wrote books, he uh, wrote prayers that were published, and was really influential in the beginning of the Great Awakening. And they, together, they had 11 children that grew into adulthood. And these are just some of the things that they found that were the results of their lives together in the next generations. 100 lawyers and a dean of a law school, 80 holders of public office, 66 physicians and a dean of a medical school, 65 professors of colleges and universities, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors of large cities, three governors of states, three United States senators, one controller of the United States Treasury, one vice president of the United States, And 100 missionaries. Jonathan Edwards had a mind that was known as unequal to most in his devotion to Christ, in his fervor, in his passion, in his ability to communicate. But he's not the main focus that I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about Sarah, his wife, because it was said about her much of the capacity and talent, intensity, and character of the more than 1,400 of the Edwards family was due to her. That struck me. You see, Jonathan had siblings. He had well-qualified siblings who married and did wonderful things, but nothing that was in comparison to this couple. This is unprecedented, and I I just wonder what made the difference. What, what I propose is that God did amazing things. That's that's it. But in this, she understood she had one arrow and she knew what to do with it. She knew this from a very early age. We could say Sarah had the heritage of being a preacher's kid. Her grandmother and her mother were both married to pastors. By the age of 13, she was noted of her Christian character and her exceptional ability by a disinterested Edwards. He was not interested in her at the time. This is what he wrote about her. I find it so sweet. She was of a wonderful sweetness, calmness, and universal benevolence of mind. She will sometimes go about from place to place singing sweetly and seems to be always full of joy and pleasure, and no one knows for what. I just think that's delightful. Sarah Edwards understood her calling, and embraced it. Her calling was to be the helper to her husband in ministry, as she had seen, and her mother and her grandmother, and to raise godly children. And she was exactly fitted for the task. You know what struck me in this? Do you know why God chose Abraham? The Bible tells us exactly why. And it's not what I thought. We find this in Genesis 18, 19. It says, For I know him. This is God speaking. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. God chose Sarah Edwards to fulfill his purpose for her, and that was very similar to what he chose Abraham for. It wasn't about them. It was about what he was gonna do through them and their influence on the generations that were to come after them. I don't want us to miss, though, how she met those objectives, for it makes all the difference. Sarah put the needs of her husband's work in ministry on a high-priority list. She freed him to give 13 hours a day to his work. This was her prerogative. It was what she wanted to do, but this was of no small cost to her. It was not glamorous. It was said to her husband came honor and glory in his lifetime, but to her came denial, toil, and care. From the age of 18 to 40, it was a home of small children, and it was known as a delightful one. In fact, George Whitfield once wrote that he sometimes wondered if ever the Lord's will it was that he should marry. He did hope that the Lord would send a wife like Mrs. Edwards, which I also think is sweet, whom he considered to be the most beautiful and notable wife for a Christian minister that he had ever known. Is that not stunning? He wrote, If there be a more charming tribute to a woman than this, I have not seen it. Well, that would be something. Those who knew her and how she ran the home could say that even though the schools did so little for the kids and there were so many children in the home, these are some things that were quoted about her. She had an excellent way of governing her children. Quarreling and contention were wholly unknown. She knew how to make them regard and obey her cheerfully. In her direction and reproofs of matters of importance, she would address herself to the reason of her children, that they might not only know her inclination and will, but at the same time be convinced of the reasonableness of it, She had need to speak but once, and she was obeyed. Murmuring and answering again were not known among them. And in their manners, the children were uncommonly respectful to their parents. See, it's been a problem for a long time. Sarah was also a partner in her husband's ministry, and he sought her advice regarding sermons and church matters. She didn't just take care of the kids, he respected her and sought her advice. They spent time talking about these things together, and when their children were old enough, the parents included them in the discussions. They respected their children also and wanted to include them in what was going on in the in the lives of the church and in the happenings. Sarah Edwards took the responsibility God had given her seriously, and she gave everything she had to live not a life of leisure or pleasure or really even possibly the one she desired with the life God planned for her. In essence, she took her one arrow, she aimed it at the target to put her life in Christ and spent her life shooting toward it. And God brought forth the fruit 100-fold. I mean, even more than she could ever imagine, I'm sure. What Sarah Edwards helps us understand is one arrow is enough to make a tremendous impact five generations wide. And more, honestly, because we're talking about her today. Arrow, aiming and shooting, is really not about you. And it's not about me. And finally, God's plan is always greater than yours. And it's always greater than mine, even when it doesn't look like it. So that's the first part we want to talk about. The next thing we're going to do is spend the rest of our time looking at what anchors this kind of living and what practical suggestions we can glean from it, but I hope that just hearing the, human, the humanity of what living a legacy can look like and how God can totally bless it in amazing ways has been an encouragement to you, and I look forward to meeting you next week when we talk about the anchoring and the practical suggestions of what this looks like in your life and in my life and how we can live it out. Thank you again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber. And it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing a resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com, where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.